Squad, it's Friday. You're listening to TGIF, the horror movie podcast that brings you all the casual conversations about your favourite or not-so-favourite horror movies with your host, me, Kat. This week, I am joined by co-host of Masters of Horror, 2B Tuesdays, and a variety of incredible pop culture podcasts on the Super Network feed. Welcome. Hello, Kat. How are you? (laughs) Ah, you know, uh, we haven't been talking for the last half an hour, and you know what? I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that but I, I sort of might have to ask that question for the audience because they, they would be thinking like that guy's really rude he didn't ask how cat was or you know what's been going on or anything like that even though we have been talking for about half an hour prior to this podcast well then that's also rude of me how are you i'm really good thanks uh been pretty busy as of late uh things are opening up here in uh melbourne uh because we were locked out for like three months so things are just now opening up and uh, I'm sort of slowly taking things back in because I'm not in a huge rush to kind of get back into the community because we still Same. get high numbers <laughs> of uh of cases yeah. a day but really I'm double back yeah well I'm double back so I'm all safe and everything but you know I like yeah. to take precautions and uh yeah so I've been kind of busy and a lot of podcasting on my end with all the many shows I do with Marcy so yeah absolutely I'm a little bit hesitant to get back out but tomorrow I am going to see tomorrow meaning the 4th of November this will come out next week so uh I'm going to see Halloween Kills oh nice I I was hoping to go see that uh today and maybe malignant as well but i'm please but uh but uh yeah (laughs) but uh marcy and i had to do a uh podcast recording and so we ended up doing it today so i had to kind of postpone that but i'm also going away for a week so i'll I'll have to wait until at least get back home so yeah it's um i'm really i'm you know i've seen some very mixed reviews Mm. about it some people absolutely love it and then some people just cannot stand it so yeah I'm normally on the fence with those things, so I think I might be a fence sitter. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm kind of curious as well because I was like expecting, like you know, probably positive reviews, but you know, maybe some people say, "Oh, it's good," but not as good as the previous one. But yeah. the fact that it is really dividing people as well. Some people say it's one of the best entries, and some people say it's the worst entry, even yeah. worse than Halloween Resurrection. It's like got me more curious than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And because I just recently watched Rob Zombie's Halloween, yeah. um, I didn't like his number two, but I really liked his first one. Yeah, And yeah. I was like, okay, I really like this. This is probably my favourite out of hmm. the entire franchise, personally. Hmm. Um, so, But also in saying that I'm not a huge Halloween fan at all. Yeah. So hmm. I was more Friday, Friday 13th and more A Nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't really yeah. find Halloween that interesting. Yeah, I can understand that, yeah. I think out of those three franchises, I think Halloween is the best overall film out of those three franchises. But yeah, I would say, um, yeah, I I pretty much would say, like, if I had to rank the three, like, it sort of depends. Like, Friday the 13th would definitely be my number one. And it sort of depends on the mood. Sometimes it's either Elm Street or Halloween or either the number two spot yeah (laughs) so it sort of depends on the mood i i'm in i guess maybe at the moment i'd say halloween is number two because i think outside of maybe resurrection and maybe even the fifth and the um the sixth one like the theatrical version of the sixth one there's not really that many entries in that series that i did not like like i at least like most of them in various degrees I really, like, I I enjoyed them. I just think it's probably, if I was to rank, you know, those 80s, uh, Mm. like, 70s and 80s 
slashes, Halloween would probably come in third. But that yeah, doesn't yeah. mean I don't like it. Oh, I yeah. just just it's my personal pro. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I watched it a little too late mm. and kind of was late to the party, the Halloween party. <laughs> <laughs> But um, recently I did unfollow someone on Twitter because they Ooh. called Malignant Pathetic. Wow. And I was like, that is not just only a hot take. That is like an unfollowing you hot take. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of bad hot takes on uh, Twitter these days. And sometimes you kind of... I mean, I, it's not to say I'm not guilty of doing that as well, like occasionally. <laughs> but at least... What I say, and I don't know whether it's just to draw. Maybe I am doing it out of attention. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, <laughs> maybe I just like to kind of stroke the fires a little bit because I have been known to be quite the contrarian <laughs> in terms of like uh, film opinions. Like some films, <laughs> other people like I don't like, and other films that people hate, I, I do like. So that's me. Um, <laughs> Normally, the ones that people hate, I'm like, oh my god, give it to me. I love. Oh it. yeah. And people are like, what is wrong with you? I was kind of like that with the Rob Zombie Halloween films. Like, everyone despised them. And I'm like, back when it came like out, them. those, yeah, they came out. I was like, you know, these are actually pretty decent. And it's now only now that those movies are starting to get more respect. And although a part of me is like, I was ahead of the curve on this one. So I, <laughs> it's just you, all Strong of you kind of you had, guys. exactly. You, you took a long time to uh, kind of finally catch up. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love Rob Zombie films. Mm. Like, House of a Thousand Corpses is in my top ten. Like, mm. I, I love that. And, you know, Devil's Rejects is fantastic. Um, I recently watched Three from Hell. I didn't like yeah. it as much as I liked the others, but I, st- mm. I still enjoyed it, you know? Yeah. It's, um, he, he's a great fam- filmmaker, and I think a lot of people just don't give him the respect he deserves as an artist yeah. and a creative person because they're like, he should just stay in music. And it's like... He's, he's, what's wrong with his perspective on horror? Like, all of his music is about horror elements as well. Like, you don't get to tell him he can't make movies. Fuck you. Exactly. Exactly. And I do like a lot of Rob Zombie's films. Like, yeah, some are more mixed than others. But, you know, I think yeah. he's an, one of the more interesting horror directors out there because he's probably one of the few that, when you see any of his films, it is quintessentially hit. Like, it's his style, yeah. his tone. I, I guess some people are kind of put off by, I guess, the quote-unquote sort of redneck kind of dialogue he puts in all of his films. It's satire, though. Yeah. And I think that yeah. if people don't understand him and that commentary on having, you know, this redneck dialogue, yeah. then don't watch Rob Zombie films. Yeah. <laughs> Although I am curious to see what his uh, Monsters film is going to be Yeah. I am on the fence about it. Yeah. I mean, I did watch The Monsters as a kid. But yeah. from what I've hear, Rob Zombie is a massive Monsters fan, like a diehard Monsters fan. That's what I'm so, hoping. You know, yeah, really. so yeah, I don't think he's going to make like a redneck Rob Zombie version no. of the Monsters. <laughs> I think he's going to be like making something that is more akin to the original TV show. And I think yeah. when, if that ends up being like that, I think people are going to be really surprised. Like, oh, he could actually, you know, he's more than you know what his naysayers say about him. Yeah, absolutely. I think people just think that they get to tell people what they can and can't do. If you don't mm. like Rob Zombie doing a Monsters film, don't go and see it. Because he ain't he ain't worried about losing your money. Your, exactly. Your $20 ticket to the movies. Don't worry. Uh, I he, mean, he gets no skin off his back. Exactly. He, he's doing something that uh, most of us wish we'd be doing. So he gets kudos yeah. from me. So I shouldn't complain. So. <laughs> nah. 
Well, let's um, let's dive into the film that you've chosen for this episode. So you chose Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, because you were saying that you really loved this film. I do love this film, and it's one of the most. And I'll I'll explain why. Well, I will say like this film has kind of been a part of my life for so long because it's probably one of the earliest horror movies I at least became aware of when I was a kid. Because the movie came out in '92, and I would have been yeah. about. Uh, maybe eight, seven or eight at the time it came out. And I just remembered like hearing about this film everywhere because it was like a huge box office hit. So, you know, I'd see the posters and I'd see there was like video games and I played the video game as a kid. And it was probably one of the more, yeah, like I said, one of the earliest horror films that I can uh, vividly remember hearing about as a kid. And it's one that's kind of stuck with me for pretty much all my life, because I don't think I ended up really watching it until maybe about 10 or so. And even then, there were kind of like certain chunks <laughs> as well, because there were moments like I'll watch it and then I get freaked out by a scene so much that I'm like, yeah, I might, nope. but yeah I'm not watching this. Or at least I'm, <laughs> out, I'm going out of the room for a couple of minutes and then I'll come back. I mean, that's to say something because I saw the, uh, the, the Mel Brooks parody of this film, uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, <laughs> like oh, in full yeah it kind of uh they sort of um parody this film but also like you know the bella lugosi dracula and a few others as well so i saw that parody like even like i don't know if i saw it before or after i actually saw the film but i i was sort of like even aware of you know some of the things that that film was parody got from bram stoker's dracula but also uh the simpsons also did a take on their on yeah. the film as well for their <laughs> segments in their uh, Treehouse of Horror episodes, which is one that I still quote a lot to this very day. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's one of those films I've just been fully aware of. And and I, then, of course, as the years went on, I finally watched it all the way through and having re-watched it again in prep for this episode, like, I, I just love it. I think it's such a unique interpretation of the Dracula story. Sure. and the And the fact that it's also... Like, I remember watching this video, um, James Rolfe, you know, the uh, angry video game nerd, he did this video on his YouTube channel where he got all the different versions of Dracula, like all the ones based on the book, and he sort of, like, whittled them down to find out which one was the most faithful adaptation to the book, and Bram Stoker's Dracula was the winner. It was the closest to the book, even though they do make changes or add things to it, like, but... but they kind of, uh, but yeah, it's like the closest to the actual book. I haven't personally read the book myself. Oh, really? And I, think, and I was about to ask, have you read the book? I haven't, um, but I've been meaning to, but I just know from people who have read the book that it's probably the closest uh, uh, film to actually capture the book. Yeah, I read the book because I went through my emo goth phase at about 15. So I was reading Bram Stoker and I was reading um, lots of gothic literature, Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. I had like his collection of books. Um, And so it's been a while since I've read Dracula. So I can't really, I mean, I was 15, 17 years ago. So that's a long time for me to try and remember what happened in the book. (laughs) Maybe I should read it again. (laughs) Exactly. It may finally read it as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks like um, I had a version that was really, like, you know, the, like, shorter books and mm. it was really fat and had tiny writing and my eyes were, like, squinting yep. trying to read this book, but I, I made it through. 
<laughs> I mean, now I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd probably get it on my Kindle and then up the font to like 60. All right. Just for, cause I, sometimes I don't have the time to sit down and read a book these days. So I just like, just get like the audio book and just listen to it. Yeah. I've done that with Stephen King's books and yeah. like his, um, like short story books, like mm. short story collections. And, um, I haven't listened to any of them, but I own them. Yeah, I'm the same too. I own quite a few, but I haven't got around to reading, uh, (laughs) listening or reading to them yet, I would say. Yeah, I'll get to it eventually. Um, (laughs) So a little bit about the film for our listeners. Bram Stoker's Dracula is a 1992 American Gothic horror film directed and produced by Francis Ford uh, Coppola. Uh, uh, Coppola. 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 Yeah. Uh, Based on the novel Dracula by Bram Stoker, it stars Gary Oldman as Count Dracula. <laughs> I'm so, he looks ridiculous, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> Winona Ryder as Mina Harker, Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing, and Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker. Fantastic cast. Absolutely oh, yeah. freaking jam-packed full of amazing people. Oh, yeah. This was around the time because I remember um, basically, like, costume dramas were, like, the big thing in the late 80s and early 90s because they were, like, prestige pictures and that. So somebody had the bright idea of, like, you know, all these costume dramas are based on well-known famous literature. Let's 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 wind some of these horror novels, classic horror novels, and do the same thing to them. Because, you know, this is, like, a year after Silence of the Lambs won Best Picture being the first horror film to do that. So there was a bit more of, you know an A-grade sheen to horror again. And um, and the fact that, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, who, you know, made the Godfather's trilogy and Apocalypse Now, directing um, a version of Dracula and and assigning a massive cast like this, including yeah. Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> who had just won the Oscar for Silence of the Lambs, like, and Gary Oldman yeah. at the height of his career as an actor. Like, you know, it's an amazing thing, like this film coming together as it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think, speaking of costume dramas and costume, mm. um, the costume designer for this actually won an Academy Award for this film. Indeed, and very deserving too. Absolutely. The costumes in this are just uh, absolutely stunning. And I, I love uh, gothic films for the, yeah. the exact reason of costuming and, you know, uh, amazing you know, uh, set designs and, and effects and stuff. Um, I actually used to tutor English for a year seven English student and we did a whole unit on Gothic literature and we studied Edgar Allan Poe. It was so much fun. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was really fun. Um, one thing that I really loved about this was that Nona Ryder has come out and said that she really loved um, the, the film and the script because it was this emotional love story. And I was like, have you ever read Dracula? Like, you'd know what it's about mm. then, right? Um, but she was also talking about how many women, Mina included, um, had a lot of this repressed sexuality, oh, you yeah. know, and the way that they had to, you know, wearing corsets and, and makeup and performing a certain way, this gender performance. And um, to express any form of passion was kind of like out of the question. And so the fact that she got to do a little bit of both, hmm. I think she really um, appreciated the role and the script for allowing her to, to do that. Oh yeah, definitely. And the thing is, rewatching it again, even though I was a bit of aware of it when I was younger, but rewatching it again, I completely forgot how horny this film is. Oh, it is full blown from top to bottom, one of the horniest films I've ever seen. And I've seen Crash, (laughs) 
the David Cronenberg film, which was probably the last very horny film I've seen. But this one is I legit. I haven't seen that in so long. <laughs> then, see, these two films could make a perfect double feature. You, you'll be... Because <laughs> these two films are so sexualized in so much yeah. way and really focus on sort of the sexual natures of their story that you can't help but watch it and just feel the horniness projected off the screen. <laughs> and it'll be, the double feature will be horny hits. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, but, and it will be these, those two films. <laughs> yeah, well, I know, like you were saying, like uh, the, the original book, from what I've heard, is definitely not uh, a, rom- a romance. That was one of the things they added to the film, uh, from what I understand. It's... The typical gothic literature yeah. romance, like the yeah. the uh, grieving for love lost, and mm. like, just the usual. Uh, I don't. It's not romance. It's mm. forlorn lost and love. <laughs> and Dracula's a little bit horny in the in the book. Don't get me yeah. wrong, but oh yeah, <laughs> but they go for it for a hundred and ten percent for this movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> There were some scenes where I was like, whoa, B told me he watched this as a kid. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. Like, some parts, like, I saw bits and pieces. Like, the very horny scene, like, probably, like, blocked out of my memory. Yeah, and now <laughs> when you rewatch it as an adult, you're like... Well, now that I sort of remember, this? a lot of the horny scenes really happen in the film's most scariest moments <laughs> as well, so... So it's like, uh... I don't know how I feel about this scene right now. Am I turned on or am I going to shoot myself? Exactly. Like, I mean, there's a scene in, we'll we'll probably talk about it when we uh, get dive into the film, but there's a scene where uh, Lucy is finally about to be turned by Dracula. Dracula turns into a wolf and bites at her neck. And then all of a sudden it's like, as it's kind of reaching its climax, like legit blood goes flying everywhere. Almost like it, like it's basically an ejaculation. And it's just weird. It's like, (laughs) This is the weirdest juxtaposition. Uh, okay, I don't get. I like. I get it, but I'm just like, what the fuck? But I, I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy the film. So let's let's uh, get started. Yes. It is the year 1462. Constantinople has fallen to the invading Turks. Prince Dracula must leave his bride Elisabetta. Elisabetta. Elisabetta, I think. I think it's Elisabetta. Yeah. Uh, I'm Australian, so it's Elisabetta. um to join the battle against the turks um basically dracula's offense is success successful and he leaves many in the turkish army alive and impaled on long spears on the battlefield which i thought was a really cool visual i was like oh that's brutal i love it Oh, yeah, and the fact that um, it's kind of a mixture of using real actors but also shadow puppets as well. Yeah. The, because I know that um, originally one of the things what is incredibly impressive about this film, and particularly even more so now, is that everything that the special effects-wise, production design, everything, and the way how it's filmed, it was all done in camera. Like, everything. Yeah. Like, they wanted... Francis Ford Coppola wanted to make a very old-school approach when it came to the filming techniques of this film. And the visual effects company that he hired were like, no, nah, I don't think we'd be able to achieve that. So what he did, he fired them all and got... <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> he got his uh, 28-year-old son at the time, uh, Roman Coppola, to do the special effects in this film. <laughs> all right, in you come. You know what you're doing. And That'd be like, um, like my dad doing a film. And because I know a little bit of Photoshop, him telling me that I need to do all the special effects. Indeed. And I think from what I remember, I could be completely wrong, so forgive me. I don't think 
this was the very first thing Roman Coppola did special effects wise. So I don't think he, I don't know if he had any like, you know, prior like work doing in that field, or this is like something like when your dad is Francis Ford Coppola and your whole family has, you've grown up in this filmmaking dynasty because there's like so many Coppolas in this family, like Nicolas Cage, Sophia Coppola and Jason Schwartzman. They're all part of this family. Um, You know, there's, you, you kind of grow up with this stuff. So basically the fact that he, all the effects that they did for this film is just mind blowing. And the fact that yeah. in these, in the battle sequence, using the mixture of real like people and shadow puppets is just kind of phenomenal. And also makes the film like on a visual level, just so unique and different from yeah. any other interpretation of Dracula we've seen up to that point. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is... I haven't even watched, like, Nosferatu. I haven't watched, mm. like, Bela Lugosi's Dracula. This is probably my first, like, Dracula adaptation mm. ever. Because yeah. uh, And, like, I am a vampire fan, but I'm like, oh, I read the book. I don't need to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, like, uh, Coppola was, did use those two films as inspiration for the visual look of the yeah. film, particularly Nosferatu. And there's also little references to those films throughout this film yeah. and we'll get to those as the film as we talk into about the film but yeah the fact that he kind of wanted it to be closer to the book but also make it a love letter to all the previous versions of dracula that have already came out in the cinema yeah you can definitely see that um when we get to it there's a few things that i'm like yeah and i noticed this and that because i have yep. seen like outtakes of nosferatu and oh, yeah. uh, you know bella lugosi's dracula so i'm like oh i noticed some similarities or you know mm. uh references too yeah so in seeking revenge slash vengeance the turks send a message to dracula's castle saying falsely that dracula has been killed in battle uh elizabeth who is absolutely incredibly heartbroken, throws herself into the river below the castle, um, unaliving herself. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very sort of a tragic moment because you go from this juxtaposition of uh, Dracula, or pretty much Vlad, Vlad the Impaler, because, you know, that's always been one of the things, like, like, people always link the character of Dracula back to Vlad the Impaler. And this is, I think, the first film to kind of, use that historic hip that that historical figure in this story yeah um and you know and also i've got to say his body art his uh knight armor in this section of the film is just amazing and iconic. it looks really cool oh yeah and it's bright red too so it's just so different yeah. um but yeah the fact that in this kind of short span like even though we only see dracula and um Lizabetta together very briefly you can kind of sense the passion and love between yeah. the two of them yeah and also just we do need to make a comment that Elizabeth is played by Winona Ryder oh yeah point. definitely oh yeah because so, that's important <laughs> yes uh the bishop who is played by Anthony Hopkins yep uh proclaims her soul damned because she took her own life mm. uh Furious that God let his wife die while he was defending God and the church, Dracula renounces his faith. Uh, He draws his sword and stabs the large cross um, of his chapel and it begins to bleed. Mm. He drinks the blood flowing from the cross, proclaiming that he will be be reborn after his death with all the powers of darkness at his command. 
Well, that's it. Kind of also shows, like, even though it is a very sort of over the top kind of moment, yeah. Um, but again, we can sense the anger that he is feeling in that yeah. moment and the loss he's feeling, and and also his love for Elizabeth is so strong that he would, you know, renounce, you know, his god and also yeah. like basically transform himself into go beyond death to become this you know this this figure as we would know as the story progresses a vampire and yeah so that's yeah how how strong his love is for this woman yeah because um a lot of uh vampire lore is about them being godless creatures and yeah. not uh they don't even you know ascribe to being you know worshiping the devil or anything they're just godless creatures that came from somewhere once upon yeah. a time and obviously you know the law is that um you know in every you know uh ancient culture has their own vampire story but the one that yeah. we know the most is that dracula is the father of all vampires oh yeah definitely and so um yeah it's really interesting that this is the moment you know that um has been set up for us that created this vampire mythology mm. it's cool uh, I just want to know where all that blood came from inside that cross. Apparently it was jelly as well. I read somewhere that they used jelly or jello as blood, hmm. like for their blood. And I was like, ew. Yeah, and also like Dracula's voice through that scene because it's so guttural and so pryable and deep. And I think I read somewhere that Gary Oldman studied with a heavy metal singer to get his oh, voice wow. down to that octave level. Yeah, that would make sense. And- and you know he's just ferocious in that entire scene. Yeah, he's he's just it's anguish. It's not even mm. anger. Like anger, I think anguish um ex- like exceeds ang like mm. anguish exceeds anger in a yeah, way definitely. because you know there's love with that and it's a mix of all different emotions. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Fast forward. It's March eighteen ninety seven, England. Law clerk Jonathan Harker, played by the incredibly handsome Keanu Reeves, must travel. <laughs> he hasn't aged a day, I swear. Uh, I, I reckon, <laughs> like, uh, Keanu Reeves is actually a vampire, and it all yeah. happened because of this film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's been a vampire since this movie. He, he, um, he, he got bitten <laughs> by the Brides of Dracula, and now he's been a vampire ever since. <laughs> ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he has to travel to Transylvania, Romania, to close the sale of 10 London properties that are being purchased by Count Dracula. Um, so basically, Jonathan is letting his uh, his intended fiance Nina Murray, played by Winona Ryder, know that when he gets back, they will be married. Which I think it's because there's this really lovely scene with them in this like hedge maze kind of looking garden, mm. and he's like, you know, when I get back, we're we're gonna get married. Just you wait, Mina. Exactly, and it's a and it's a nice little scene between it because I mean, Keanu and Winona Ryder, they're best friends, and they're you know, and they do have good chemistry with each other, and I think you get this yeah. get the sense of like just like with uh, Dracula and Elizabeth in their short sequence at the beginning of the film we get a little bit of sense of that between Harker and Mina in this kind of brief interaction between them before yeah. he heads off to Transylvania. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, I just really like Winona Ryder in the, in these costumes mm. and she just looks phenomenal. Oh yeah. Uh, she's yeah. She's beautiful. 
Um, in Jonathan's absence, Mina is staying with her incredibly rich friend, Lucy Westenrail, who's played by Sadie Frost. I don't think I've seen her in anything else. Yeah, well, she's one of those actors, like, I guess for most people out there who who are aware of her, they probably know her best as being um, Jude Law's first wife, because they got together a few years after oh, okay. this film. Um, you know, had a whole bunch of kids together, and of course, like, he, she was the, the woman that, I mean, Jude Law, of course, when he left uh, her for Sienna Miller, that was like one of the... The, the okay, big scandal now I know that exactly happened. Exactly who who this actress is. Yes. Yeah, but it's weird though because she's actually a really good actress. Even though I haven't, yeah. I've seen her in other things here and there, but I think this film is probably her best known work, and she's yeah. phenomenal in this whole film. She's great. Um, she's very well costumed as well, and you know, there's some very uh provocative scenes that Lucy is involved in that you know. Like, props to her for doing that in 1992. Oh, yeah. And also because sort of the show between the differences between her and Mina is, yeah. like, Lucy is very much, like, not afraid of her sexuality. And, yeah. and the fact that she has three suitors yes, throughout she the has, whole uh, film. Who, uh, Quincy, who is a Texan, the Doctor uh, Jack Seward, and Lord Arthur Holmwood. Played by uh, Bill Campbell, Richard E. Grant, and Carrie Elwes, respectively. Yeah. And I love this scene when she's sitting in the lounge with Mina and each of them come in, like, one after yeah. the other. And I was like, this feels like I'm watching a musical. You know, <laughs> like, when they're introducing characters and, you know, uh, Quincy comes in and he's this really confident man and Jack comes in and he's, like, tripping over his own feet and, like, really clumsy. And, uh, and then Arthur comes in kind of, like, very warm and like you can see that lucy is the most interested in arthur because oh yeah definitely you know reception to him arriving because he is the man that she has decided to marry oh yeah and i like the fact that even though like these three men are in competition with lucy there's still kind of a bromance between the three of them like they actually do like together yeah exactly and even after when she does uh decide to go with arthur like they they all still hang out and are like all like friends with each other so yeah they all bro down still it's cool um so while that is going on jonathan has arrived at castle dracula in transylvania um and while he was like on his trip there his carriage ride, he saw some um, blue flames and some wolves, kind of like mm. a bit of a foreboding sense, because that's always in a gothic literature, no matter yeah. what. <laughs> sense I, of I, doom. <laughs> I love the journey Harker goes on, because that's when the movie's production and special effects designs are at their most heightened, especially because one of the things, my favourite effects in this film is like the scene where you have like a page from harker's diary and then you see the train yeah. go in the background i've seen behind the scenes footage and what roman coppola did for these scenes is like he actually built a giant page of this book and a small <laughs> model train goes past it and also the scene where like um he's harker's writing in the book and you see dracula's eyes peering like that's an optical yeah. effect they did on set like they just screened wow. those eyes on a different screens so like everything you see in this whole sequence is not digital it's all practical and on it in camera and on that set as it's happening yeah i did read um that a lot of these sets were actually miniatures 
and mm. had been filmed like in optical effects from oh, yeah. you know, these tiny things and castles on set. And I was like, that's so crazy. Like, they yeah, just look fantastic. And there's no locations in this film. Like, every set in this whole film is a set. It was all shot in yeah. LA. Um, but one yeah. of my, the thing is with the carriage, when he's picked up by the, the driver, who's in this costume, but that's also Gary Oldman as well. Like, yeah. that is Gary Oldman's <laughs> suit. Like, the way, because you've got this guy, this driver, whose arm looks like it's extending out to grab Harker and pull him pulls him up into the carriage. Again, optical, because I think where the camera falls, like, Gary Oldman is, like, going along with the camera as well, so it looks like the wow. arm is extending, and they put um, Keanu, I think, on a, um, like, a little dolly thing, so he's, like, lifted up into the air. That's but then... Cool. Uh, like, it's all really cool and really awesome. But at the same time, a part of me is, like, if I was Harker and I'd see all this stuff happening <laughs> as I got to... I'm like, yeah, I think I might have to leave. This is There's something weird about all of this stuff. Get me out of here? <laughs> <laughs> and Dracula's Castle, one of my favourite things about the yeah. design of it is it looks like somebody sitting on a throne. Like, it's not a yeah. finished version, but it almost looks like a half-built person sitting on a throne. Yeah, it's fantastic. And this is where I feel like there was a big influence of Nosferatu and oh, yeah. Bella Lugosi because I have seen the sets, I've seen pictures and I've watched, you know, documentaries and whatnot. And so when I see, you know, outtakes of that film, I'm like, wow, this castle is so reminiscent of those castles mm. that it, it's really impressive. Oh, yeah. Well, even when uh, Harker actually gets out of the carriage and goes up the steps, a lot of those shots and even the design are very resentment of the Bela Lugosi Dracula. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not that I've seen it, but from what yeah. I have seen, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> mm. I love all of this. <laughs> and then, of course, um... uh, we're introduced to Dracula, and, of course, we see his shadow first, which is yes. very Nosferatu. It and is, again, it? And it's all done on set. They had somebody else, I believe somebody else was another actor, like a stunt person they're doing the shadow effects yeah. and then Gary would be in different spots. So like the shadow effects are on camera, like legit on screen, like as it's all yeah. happening. That's so cool. Because I remember I read in a article that, um, that, uh, Roman, yeah. the son, he had mm -hmm. decided that because the uh, shadows of the people are meant to be supernatural as well, that mm. they don't always make sense with the with the character. Oh yeah, of, especially Dracula. Yeah, because I think I read that same thing too. That same quote, like whether there's a vampire around, the things that are surrounding them just kind of feel weird and off kilter. Because we'll see little yeah. moments throughout, like you see rats running upside down on walls or like water dripping upwards rather than downwards and stuff like that because there's a vampire in here and it's kind yeah, of yeah it's kind of changed the, the like, fabric of what's happening in that scene yeah yeah uh so we meet dracula who has a rather <laughs> bulbous head um yes. he's a really fascinating uh character and the way that he is dressed because he wears bright red robes um mm. which are just stunning uh, stunning color uh, but um, Harker notices things about him. You know, he doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep, he lives by himself in a castle, and he also um, ha notices Dracula's reaction to a photo of Mina. Mm. Um, because he does show Dracula his intended um, 
so yes yeah the, rather interesting <laughs> yeah he kind of like dracula sees the photo and he sees like like mina is the reincarnation of elizabeth yeah well that's what he uh she is kind of looks be, like isn't yeah she? yeah i believe yeah. she's meant to be because i think in the movie we do get scenes of where almost like mina has kind of visions and regresses of her past life yes yeah um, there is a fantastic scene where um, Jonathan is having strange dreams about women who are trying to seduce him. Mm. Um, but so in this scene, they're crawling all over him. They're like, mm. and I love that Dracula like bursts into the room and yells, he's mine. Yes. I was like, is this going where I think it's going? Yeah, because, well, that's the thing with vampires. Horny ass. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a lot of vampire stories. Like, even though, yeah, sometimes yeah. vampires will lust, you know, male vampires will lust after women, but there's also a sense of homoeroticism with those yes, characters absolutely. as well. Yeah. Like, even though, like, at, to them, like, men, women, like, they'll just go after you and may, and feel, like, feel something for you. And maybe in some conscious level, you in a way, maybe uh, Dracula kind of fancies a Parker in some way, and that's that's totally fine. It's oh just yeah, totally. The way he he said it. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Sort of, exactly. Cut. The, the subtext is very strong in this movie. Yeah, I'm, oh, it's not even subtle. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Even, it's not very subtle. Um, so we find out that <clears throat> Dracula has basically forced Jonathan to write letters to Mina, saying that he'll be staying with the Count for another month. Yep. Um, I'm still finishing up work. Excuse me. <coughs> I choked on my own saliva. Um, so <laughs> during this uh, time, the Count is preparing for his trip to England and he has his servants filling large wooden crates with dirt from the grounds around the castle. Wonder mm. why he needs that. Yeah, because I think one of the things I love about this film is it really does go into the traditional vampire lore and yeah. that vampires need kind of the the dirt and earth of their homeland to be taken with them to uh, wherever they're going so that way they can yeah. rejuvenate within that soil. Yeah, which is really cool because um, not a lot of vampire, like modern vampire adaptations or vampire-themed movies do that. There is a few. Um, I mean... In True Blood, he has to sleep on the dirt and in or in a coffin. Yep. So I was like, okay, that's better than most interpretations I've seen because I've also watched um, Vampire Diaries. So <laughs> <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> uh, anyway, it is July 1897, and Jonathan has been missing for over three months. Mina is absolutely you know incredibly worried about what's going on because she hasn't even heard from harker either uh lucy um has been planning for mina or her wedding i'm not too sure i think it's for but her own wedding lucy's her own wedding yeah yeah uh one night during a particularly violent summer storm um Oh, because actually, there's this really cool scene where we hear Dracula's voice, or uh, no, just a voiceover, telling yep. the story about a shipwreck. Yeah. And we know that Dracula was sent over on a boat uh, to London, 
And so, yeah, I think the voiceover is Anthony Hopkins. I'm not too yeah, sure. I think, uh, yeah, it is. It is, yeah, it is Anthony Hopkins. And of course, he does a, a different um, sort of like voice for that scene. Yeah. Uh, but actually, before we sort of continue, there's one scene like between Harker and Draco I do love. And it's a pretty iconic scene is the shaving scene. Oh, yes, I did forget to write that down. Because <laughs> I think that scene is great. And again, what's interesting about that scene to kind of, because it's a scene where basically Dracula see, you know, Harker sees that Dracula's not in the mirror. And then, of course, the mirror shatters on its own. But again, yeah. how they achieve that, and what I, from what I've read, is that what they basically did is when you see, like, Harker's back, that's actually a body double, and Keanu <laughs> is actually in the mirror. So. Gary Oldman would come up behind Harker, but you wouldn't see in the mirror because ah. that's like the it's like a see through. So it's a very traditional yep. technique. But then I was watching a video a while back, and this was something that uh, Roman Coppola just casually dropped in an interview during, like, on the DVD and Blu-ray recent one. Is that apparently uh, the body Keanu's body double throughout this whole film was an uncredited Johnny Knoxville? Oh no way! Apparently so. Like I, I, I mean, he just casually dropped like, "Oh yeah, Johnny Knoxville that was, Johnny was Knoxville. did as this." Yeah, it was Johnny Knoxville doing like Keanu's like Holy body shit. double work. Amazing. So, yeah, and it was just kind of blew my mind because like if I looked at an IMDb again, Johnny Knoxville's not credited. Yeah, like, and it this film's not credited anywhere on his IMDb page, but. I guess this must have been very early in his career, and yeah, again, he might he have been doing stunt work, and, stunt work, and, and stuff, and maybe might have done it under his real name at the time, rather than you know Johnny. What's his, his real name? I'm not exactly sure. Like I think oh. I read it the other day, but I completely forgot what it was. Oh. I but like I know he, Knoxville. <laughs> yeah, I just know that uh, Johnny Knoxville is his uh, stage name. So oh, I thought it was his. Yeah, okay. I thought it was Johnny Knoxville was his real name all this time. But also, the scene is just weird. Again, this is where the uh, the sexual tension between Harker and Dracula is that it's heightened because Dracula's like shaving Harker, and then he like yeah. licks the blood off um, the shaving blade, and that like the shiver of orgasmic shiver he has after tasting blood. It it's yeah, an incredibly memorable like, scene. Yeah, again, it's doing? like Harker's like. like <laughs> very passive about it and i'm and, and if it was me i'm like i'm getting the fuck out of here so. now you're licking blades with blood on them i don't feel safe exactly exactly but uh, what, <laughs> but that but continue from where we were leaving off <laughs> yes sorry i totally forgot about that because i was watching and then i couldn't remember where to put it in my notes and yeah. so i was just like i don't know where to put it so I left it out because <laughs> i couldn't remember the order so i was like ah um so we have the voiceover of Anthony Hopkins telling the story about um, a ship that has washed ashore of dead sol- uh, sailors up on the beach. And after this incident, Lucy begins sleepwalking. Now, she used to sleepwalk as a child, and mm. all of a sudden she starts again. And there's this kind of uh, weird scene where she's sleepwalking through he- like another hedge maze. Yeah. And um, she's very... For a sleepwalker, um, she's very active. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, is she just lost, lost her marbles a little bit? No, she was sleepwalking. And I was like, what? Um, so during this incident, uh, a wolf creature thing um, shows up and basically hypnotizes Lucy 
and bites her. Among other things, <laughs> from the look of this scene. It was, it, this was a horny scene. Oh yeah, it, it looked like, even though, yeah, it was Dracula in kind of a werewolf type of form, biting Lucy, but the way how they're acting, it almost looks like uh, Dracula is having sex with uh, Lucy in the werewolf form. he's kind form. of seducing her as well. Yeah. Maybe it's like, because he's drinking blood that he mm. is... Yeah, and also um, Mina discovers this, and she's like, "What is going on?" And then, <laughs> uh, hello. And then Dracula's like, "Oh shit! I better like block her memory out of all yeah. of this." And, um, um, yeah. Yes, I forgot that, that he did that. And again, that is Gary Oldman in the werewolf makeup, but the werewolf design um, really is really creepy, and it's still, mm. I think, it, one of the creepiest werewolf designs I've ever seen in a film. Yeah, because I find that the ginger snaps, like werewolf, is kind of creepy as well, and it kind yeah. of reminded me of that, hmm. in a way, like this, like humanoid uh, wolf, like when she, not when she's like in complete wolf form, but you know, like during her transformation when she's still kind of half human, half wolf in a way. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh. Jack, the doctor. Um is treating in a basement somewhere uh Renfield <laughs> played, played by Tom Waits yeah rather and, interesting <laughs> yeah well I know it's an insane asylum um and and <laughs> Dr. Stewart flies yeah well that's it's like he's going on the master will give me eternal life and I'll just eat all these yeah. bugs <laughs> He's absolutely nuts, and I love it. It's so funny. Um, and he actually decides to take on Lucy as his patient because mm. she's showing signs of anemia, but they can't figure out where it's coming from. Yeah. So he decides to send for Van Helsing, who is a like um, metaphysician, philosopher, and specialist in rare blood disorders. Among other things, because he he Doctor Van Helsing knows really. a lot in this uh, in this film. He, yes, he does. Um, I mean, he deserves his pay. Exactly. In this film. <laughs> and I like that, even though he's a doctor and a scientist, like he, like most would probably like somebody's like, oh, this looks like the work of the vampire. It's like, oh no, there's got to be a scientific explanation to all this. But he's like, no, this seems like the work of a vampire. <laughs> vampire. Yeah. But he, because when he arrives at Lucy's house. Um, he immediately gl- gives her a blood transfusion and like paste- places a bulb of garlic near her bed. Yep. And I was just like, don't you have to like put it on them? I don't yeah. Know. And also in those blood transfusion scenes, a part of me, like, I don't know what blood transfusion was like in the late uh, 19th century. And I like the fact that this film is set in 1897 because that's when the book first came out. Yes. Yeah, and um, oh, that was so long ago. Wow. Oh yeah. Wow. But wow, 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 I, what I like about the scene, a part of me is like watching this scene. And I'm like, I hope the the uh, Arthur and Stuart, I hope they have the same blood type as uh, Lucy because this is going to be very <laughs> awkward. Do they even have blood types in 1897? I, I'm assuming not. Um, they just probably thought blood is blood at the end yeah. of the day. So well, imagine how sick people got from that. And that's probably why, like, even though yeah, like Lucy is still but blood is still being sucked out by Dracula. We could also sort of think, like, maybe she's not getting well because she doesn't have the right type of blood type in her system as well. Unless everyone was just, like, O negative, so it just goes to everyone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) 
Um, so all of Lucy's suitors are absolutely worried sick about her. And they're asking Van Helsing, uh, you know, what, what the heck is going on here? And he just straight up says, it's a supernatural force stalking her. <laughs> That's it. And they're all like, what the fuck, you senile old man? You don't know what you're talking about. What I love about Anthony Hopkins's performance in this film, and I completely forgot about this, his performance reminds me of um, Donald Pleasance in the first Halloween film, where he, <laughs> like, he is an incredibly smart and dedicated doctor, but at the same time, there's a hint of crazy about him. Like, one, <laughs> Maniacal. Like, yeah, if he wasn't like a doctor and a scientist, people would be like, this dude needs to belong in a insane asylum. He is insane. Lock him up. Exactly. And he, and the fact that he's, and he also has a lot of funny moments throughout this whole film. Like later in a, <laughs> like later in the film, like, like Mina asks him, and I had to look this line up because it just makes me laugh. Like Mina asks him, like, oh, how did Lucy die? Was she in great pain? And Van Helsing's like, yeah, she was in great pain. Then we cut off her head, then drove a stake through her heart and burned it, and then she found peace. <laughs> and, and she's just like, uh, you what? wouldn't say that to a woman in the late 1800s. Exactly. And I'm like, oh. like the things that Van, like Van Helsing does, like he is legit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a brilliant mind and a, and a genius and knows exactly what he's doing. But he's a little crazy. A little nuts, though. So, yeah. And I love Anthony Hopkins. And the oh, fact yeah. that he just gave, like, his crazy and dr- dramatics to the role, it just makes it even better. Yeah, and also it's different from other portrayals of Van Helsing, because, again, a lot of them portray him as, like, this stoic, wise yeah. character. But it's, like, the fact that he put a little craziness into the character makes it far more interesting and fun, as, like, of a performance. Oh, yeah, like, I need my, you know, doctors who believe in the supernatural to have a little tinge of crazy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Otherwise, I'm not going to trust him. (laughs) So, throughout this time, Mina has actually ran into a man on the street, uh, who, we all know who it is. (laughs) Yep. Um, But he has introduced himself to her as Prince Vlad of uh, Zelsk. Zekely. S Z E K E L Y. Somebody, please help me out here. Send me a voice <laughs> recording of this. Um, and like Mina is she kind of puts up this like, don't speak to me, I'll tell my husband on you, leave me alone. Um, but he is like, I just want to know where like the cinematog cin- cinematograph. I'm guessing that's the movie theater. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting about this scene because, like, during the course of this film with the mixture of having blood, being in the soil and that, it helps uh, Dracula become younger. Um, yeah. And, <clears throat> and also he's, like, got... Um, like, the costume design of how he looks in this scene is amazing. And yeah. the glasses he's wearing, which I know were not historically accurate at the time because those glasses <laughs> came out later but yet they still look so cool on him and i think what i love about this scene is another interesting fact about vampires at least in the lore of this film is like vampires can walk around in the daylight but there has to be a kind of a special way about them and of course their powers are weaker during the day which i think is an interesting thing because we never really kind of see that in films it's either 
Vampires only come out in the nighttime, never in the daylight. Unless but they're if they cosplayed. Come out in the... <laughs> oh, yes. Or Edward Cullen. Exactly. Exactly. Don't lie. You absolutely love, love the Twilight series, don't you? <laughs> well, those were the first one I was thinking of, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love those movies. I rewatch the entire series once a year. I'm not the biggest fan of the franchise, but I respect everyone who does. <laughs> I don't know. What, they're so bad, but I'm like, I'm going to watch it again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're kind of films it. like, they're the kind of films I could definitely see people enjoying them on that front because they are yeah. completely ridiculous. <laughs> oh, they're so ridiculous. And I read the books and I was like, this is, and I read the books when I was like in high school and then I reread them in my mid twenties and I was like, this is smart. <laughs> this is vampire smut what the fuck <laughs> who lets teenagers read this so I blame my parents because um, <laughs> they didn't read it to check it out first they were like oh, this Twilight. is the YA section it's fine oh, this is like this Twilight book sounds like a nice little book to to give the cat you know yeah. it's like let's give it you know let's get it Let's get it as a present. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got like a box set for Christmas on my birthday when I was around 16. So yeah, my parents are disgusting. Um, so they have like a little bit of a heated argument, Mina and Prince Vlad. But yeah. then she kind of warms to him and he's able to seduce her into a theater. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, this, like, space, because there's, like, all different things going on there, isn't there? There's, like, a room where there's, like, a certain type of movie playing, like, obviously a silent film, black and white. And then, but it, I don't know, it doesn't look like your typical theatre. It was just, I found it really fascinating. Yeah, it's kind of like, because they kind of show, like, well, I know one of the earliest film films that was made in all of history was, uh, like, this couple of minutes of footage of a train going past the camera and yeah. they kind of show that footage in this film and along with uh i get some obvious kind of erotic kind of footage yeah as well and it's an interesting kind of set piece because it's like a mixture of like a visual art kind of installation which is yeah. kind of and you know and yeah it's kind of an interesting little scene and kind of seeing that i mean i don't know how accurate it is of the period but it, it's a very visually interesting kind of set piece um throughout this whole scene yeah i really enjoyed it i was like this is fascinating they they loved art look at them um yeah i mean and... they didn't have televisions back then they had to look at like art pieces yeah exactly <laughs> um mina is kind of snapped out of this um borderline hypnotic state that she is mm. in uh when a large wolf terrorizes the theater goers uh but later or moments later the wolf is uh coming to vlad to be like petted and mm. it's like hell yeah give me a back scratch thank you because the wolf had escaped from the zoo <laughs> yeah like during the uh storm earlier storm and... yeah. yeah but it's kind of shows it's like how you do talk about it oh yeah and I think what's interesting, because again, like Dracula, his powers, he's able to communicate with animals, including yeah, wolves. Yeah, that's cool. But I also like in the scene before this happens, like, and this was, there's a line of dialogue um, that Dracula says, like, as he, he's just about to bite Mina, where basically his line is, like, I searched, like, uh, I better find this line, because uh, I'm going 
it's portrait. I traveled across oceans for you oh, or something like, a, like uh, I crossed oceans of time to find you. And I believe that line was what convinced Gary Oldman to be a part of this film. Oh, wow. He, what a magical line, though. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful line. And also because yeah. I think Gary Oldman did a bit like like playing Dracula in in any movie wasn't something he strived to be, but it was like the mixture of, you know, Coppola making this film and also reading that line in the script is what convinced him to do this film. Wow. That's really, wow. That's really nice to know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like he gets the this wolf and it's like, like he pets it. And then of course, you know, Mina of course is very appreciative because um, even though she snapped out of this hypno- hypnotic state that she was in before and almost got bitten by uh, Dracula, like the fact that, in her eyes, like Dracula saved her from being attacked by this wolf. So yeah. she's very much indebted to him. Yes, because they spend some time together after this. And I know that they go out for a meal together. And um, yeah, she she feels a connection to him. Hmm. She's and, not sure um, what the connection is. But again, yeah. I, I think it's that kind of that past life of Elizabeth kind of finally resurfacing uh, yeah. to her. Because she does mention in that scene that Dracula, like, she's had these weird dreams about mm. being at this kind of period in time, and, and she's talking about uh, Elizabeth, like, what she was going through. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I like that they combine that two together. Mm. Mm. So, Mina, soon after this, receives news that Jonathan has been found because he is, she has received a letter from the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament saying, we're looking after him. He's had a head injury. Come and, come and get him so you can get married. <laughs> what I love about this scene, because she does go off to go see him, and one of my favourite bits of trivia about this film is uh, the priest is a real Greek Orthodox priest. Oh, uh, yes, I have that. Let's yeah. wait till we get to there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she basically realizes I can no longer see Prince Vlad again. I am going to see the love of my life. Jonathan cannot know about him. Um, she says goodbye to Lucy, who is still incredibly sick. And she writes a note to Dracula and sets off for Romania. And I love uh, Dracula's like anguish again at losing mm. the love of his life. Yeah. Because uh, we do see that coming through. And because he hasn't had blood, he's also st- kind of like uh, reverting back to this old version of himself, like the old yeah. haggard version of him. Um, yes. So. Yeah. His sense of anger. getting married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, his anger oh, in yes. that situation is like, like, up to this point, like, everything's fine. But then, of course, he gets so distraught and, and yeah. anger and angry of Mina leaving him again, that, of course, leads down to a very dark path, which we'll get to soon, so. Yes. Which I, I love this wedding scene, because Mina looks, holy shit, It's that's what I want to wear when I get married. <laughs> <laughs> she looks stunning, absolutely stunning. Um, and so what you were going to say was... Yep. Was that... Uh, that's because Francis Ford Coppola for this wedding scene actually hired a Greek Orthodox uh, priest for it. So they the also actual... hired a church as well. Yeah, yeah, because it was like one of those. It was a reshoot, so they actually added it into the film. And yeah. the the ceremony, unknowns to everyone, was actually 
the what, what, the priest was was performing an actual real ceremony. So technically, oh, he was a, it says here he was a Romanian Orthodox minister, oh, okay. which would make oh, sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who's based in LA? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so they so they did this ceremony, and then it was not long after they realized that the, the priest actually performed a real ceremony. Oh and no! Technically. Under it, the eyes even, of God. Yes, and technically, even still now, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder are actually husband and wife, and they still <laughs> technically are to this day. According to the Romanian Orthodox Church. <laughs> exactly. And also, like, and they kind of embrace it now, because Winona Ryder said in an interview, like, every time she talks to Keanu, she's like, oh, hey, husband. <laughs> oh, that'd be so fun. That's a cool, in- not even an inside joke, that's like a cool joke to have with somebody and be like, are we married? I don't know. <laughs> And it's weird because she was dating Johnny Depp at the time, so that would have been yeah. awkward. <laughs> Who, funnily enough, was in talks to play Jonathan Harker in this film, but they felt I'm like... I'm so glad they oh, didn't go with that. I think he would have been good uh, because I do have issues with Keanu's accent in this film because it's yes. not the best. <laughs> um, but uh, I think Johnny would have done better with the accent. But I think yeah. the reason why they picked him was like, oh, he doesn't have much of a heartthrob status. And this yes. is like... Yeah, that, well, is, I read somewhere that they chose Keanu Reeves because he could have more of a connection with the ladies. Yeah, and the younger viewers as well, like to get that demographic to come to the movie. Yeah, I mean, like Johnny Depp would have been great for it because he did a couple of years after that, obviously Sleepy Hollow. Oh yeah, he was doing Edward Scissorhands two years later. Oh yeah, um, and but I think uh, I think that's the thing. I don't think Keanu is entirely bad in the film. I just think it's like, just not that great. <laughs> yeah, it's just not, he just, I guess I agree with one critic who says he basically almost plays Jonathan Harker almost like a British surfer dude. Just with <laughs> the voice. Was Point Break before this? I think Point Break came out after this film, or oh, okay. at least the same year. But I think Keanu did say that he kind of chalked up, even he's not happy with his performance in the film, because yeah. I think he did say like, he did like three or four movies back to back. And by the time he got to this film, he was just basically tired and it kind of reflected in his performance. Yeah. And it kind of reflected in his performance. That's so funny. It's just like his character in point break, but in 1897. Exactly. And the fact, yeah, like my favorite line of his, and I think people kind of use this to describe his accent. And it's a line later in the movie where he's like, I know where the bastard sleeps. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he says it as well. Oh. And he does too. And... Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and also like Parker's <laughs> got full-on grey hair in this scene too. Yeah, he's got like grey hair at the front of his like b- like bangs almost. Yeah, it starts off with the bangs and then as the movie progresses, it goes yeah. everywhere else. That's so crazy. How does that work? I know you can get grey if you're either very stressed or gone through a traumatic experience ah. so i'm thinking being attacked by you know constantly being attacked by uh the brides of dracula on a nightly basis for like months and months and months would do that to you yeah and i also find it funny that one of the brides of dracula is actually monica bellucci what as well yeah one of the brides was uh monica bellucci i didn't even this pick was that a, up this was like a, one of her earliest film roles as wow. well wow okay i'm gonna have to like have a look at a photo of which bride. She oh well, the first thing you see is she's basically uh, shows off her boobs, like in the first scene. Oh, so okay, it's... yeah, <laughs> I know the one. Um... <laughs> but yeah, it was like her first film, one of her first film roles, wow, I believe. That's so cool. There you go. I learn something new every day. 
Um, so as kind of revenge, Dracula decides that he's going to take Lucy as his bride, basically to replace Mina. Yeah. Um, by taking him as, her as his bride, meaning he's going to turn her completely into a vampire. Yeah. And then take her back to his castle. Or whatever they decide they're doing. Um, he attacks her in bed as the wolf, and there's like, because uh, they're... Is this where they had the men also waiting next to her bed? There was one yeah. of the men had a gun next to the bed, and he was Yeah, I think... Yeah, it was like uh, Arthur was sitting next door in the bed, but he That's fell off right. to sleep. But then Quincy was out front of the door, yeah, uh, guarding it with his gun. But then, of course, he got gets knocked out by Dracula in werewolf form. <laughs> and then, of course, like uh, Carrie so... Elwes goes flying across the <laughs> the bedroom. And I like the fact that uh, you can see the wire pull him across the wall very quickly. And then, of course, um, this is the scene where basically he takes Lucy, and then he attacks her, sucks her blood, and of course the big climax slash ejaculation of blood flies yes. she's like having off screen a, um, everywhere. She's having a a sexual response to yeah. what's happening. Mm. Even before Dracula enters the room. Oh yeah. It's uh it's quite interesting. Very H O R N Y. I think that's how you spell it. <laughs> uh, but so it's like to that <laughs> I was going to say, that, that scene is not very subtle at all, what it's, no, what it's God, basically no. referring to. Oh, it's great. It's like, um, they just were like, fuck it, let's do it. Who cares? Exactly. Um, so Lucy is dead. And they've kind of dressed her up for a funeral of sorts. They've kind of well, put her in like a mausoleum. Yeah, well, like the dress she wears was meant to be her wedding dress. That's the oh, the... that makes sense. Yeah, and I love the dress because a, it's you know, the, like the dress design is amazing, but at the same time, it's got this giant frill that makes her look like the Dilophosaurus from Jurassic Park because it's just like <laughs> it's just like a band around her head is like a cap, like a chef hat. Mm. I was like, interesting choice, but yeah, and the coffin's it's... got glass in it. You know, yeah. she's rich; she can have all these type of things. So. No, whatever she wants. Exactly. And um, they're all gathering around and the men are all talking together with Van Helsing and he is explaining to them that she is actually undead because he has noted the fangs in her mouth. And so Mm. he's telling them that to give Lucy and her soul peace, they have to cut off her head and take out her heart. Mm. And they're absolutely mortified because they're just like, you are a sick old man. He's not wrong though. (laughs) <laughs> i like the fact that basically like i love what i love i mean i love about this film is not only do the only way you can develop vampire you can't just stake them in the heart you have to chop off their head as well head, at the same heart, time done yeah all of it together <laughs> um so he's like well we're going to need to spend the night in the tomb and um i'm pretty sure they fall asleep Yep. And then find her coming back with a child. Mm. And they're like, um, excuse me, no. Give me that five-year-old. Which she legit drops to the ground. Yeah, she's just like... <laughs> and I feel sorry for that kid, because that legit kid is legit terrified in that scene. And 
because she was the kid from what I've read is was like, terrified of Sadie Frost and how she looked in that scene. Oh my god, that poor little baby! And of course, Sadie had to do Bless whatever her. she took to kind of calm her down and just because you know this is I don't know how old the kid was at the time, but I'm mm. assuming at least under three. So yeah. she probably doesn't know that she's in a movie or what's oh, going no. on. And you know, no, Mina in the scene is terrifying as well. Yeah. Because her hair's, like, all fried and, like, she looks kind of like a gremlin, but obviously she's a vampire. Mm. Um, And so Van Helsing actually uses a crucifix to, like, get her back into the coffin, which I found was interesting because, like, a lot of vampires would just hiss and run away. Yeah. Like, that would make more sense. (laughs) Mm. And I like how how it's done, though, when she gets in the coffin, and I I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it looks like it might have been shot forward but then reversed. Because it has it was, this weird, think, yeah, yeah kind of has this weird kind of odd feeling about it where she gets mm. back in the coffin. I feel like I read that in the IMDb trivia. Mm. I feel like that's the thing. Because that yeah. didn't make sense. Because it's kind of got this weird movement to it as well, where it's kind of like uncanny valley, where it's like, oh, you're not meant to move like that. Yeah, it's almost unnatural the way she moves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so due to his engagement and his deep love for Lucy, Arthur is selected to drive a large stake through Lucy's heart while Van Helsing is uh, going to cut off her head. Uh, I I was going to say, spoilers for Dracula Dead and Loving It, they do make fun of this scene in the movie, but the Arthur character, in that version, because they kind of, it's the Harker character who does it. Um, So when he's staking it, like legit like waterfalls of blood hits him over and over again (laughs) and it's like full on and he's like i don't and like van helsing played by mel brooks is like keep going and i'm like is this really necessary i'm covered in blood do it again he does it and like a like he's being sprayed like gallons of blood every time he states her that's my type of humor it's a great scene it is a worth checking out if um uh, because it is a love letter to this film and also the bella lugosi one so every time we even when this scene was happening i was like thinking of that scene from uh from that film <laughs> oh i'm gonna yes okay i'm gonna i'm gonna watch it <laughs> um so basically the group like band together as if they're like robin robin hood and Kerry <laughs> Elwes played robin hood in another movie of mel brooks <laughs> the connection comes together ah <laughs> I didn't even, uh, that didn't even click for me. Uh, <laughs> and they are going to kill Dracula, they've decided. Yeah. Um, Mina and Jonathan have returned to London to find out that Lucy is actually dead. Not undead, dead. Hmm. Um, they have dinner with Van Helsing um, and they're discussing uh, Dracula and Jonathan realises that he knows Count Dracula and that and where he sleeps, which is Carfax Abbey, which is his castle. Yep. In Transylvania. So um, they basically put Mina in the insane asylum that uh, Jack works at with fucking Renfield. I gotta say, what I love about this insane <laughs> asylum, and I don't know, this was definitely a choice, and I, I guess in hindsight it does make a little bit of sense. Um. So. Mina is secured at Jack's sanitarium and Van Helsing, Jonathan Quincy, Jack and Arthur pay a visit to the Carfax 
Abby, where they are basically um, here. It's written "sterilize Dracula's earth-filled crates," but really they're <laughs> there to like undesecrate them. Yeah, they're pretty much getting rid of all the dirt and destroying yeah. it from the boxes. And I find it. Yes. And I was good. I was going to say, like when we're like Mina's hiding out at the insane asylum, which just happens to be across <laughs> the road from Carfax Abbey. Um, <laughs> a bit too close. Yeah, exactly. And I'd like that for some reason the guards have like these boxes, like little cages around <laughs> their heads. And also when ne- Mina's like, oh, it's, uh, the doc is like, oh, Mina, you stay here. We'll come and get you. And like, she's just in his office and all that. And the next time we come back to her, she's like already undressed and ready for bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where did she even get those clothes from? Exactly. It's like, where did that come from? It feels like we're missing a scene in between. Yeah. So while they're over there undesecrating the crates, uh, Dracula pays a visit to Mina. It's then and there that she learns that her beloved prince is actually the vampire hill who killed Lucy and, you know, led to her demise. She becomes extremely upset, but it doesn't kind of turn off her want to be with him and find out how he lives. Um, Dracula drinks from Mina then cuts open a vein in his chest and tells her to drink. But he stops her and he says, uh, after she's had a little bit of his blood and says, I love you too much to condemn you. And um, then Van Helsing and the others burst into the room and they attempt to destroy him. But he, this is so gross. He changes into hundreds of tiny little rats and they all scurry away, which I felt very sick at. Oh yeah. Like like, he, he like turns into this this bat-like creature, this humanoid bat creature, yeah. then goes into the darkness, and then once they flash a light on it, he's like in this human form of many rats, and then they just fall to the ground. And it's it's a great little quick cut and visual, and again all done on you know on in on scene, and and this scene again is where the horny factor really plays into play <laughs> between Dracula and Mina because the, how passionate they are in this scene yeah. is just like off the wall and it's weird to me because apparently like gary oldman and winona Ryder did not get on well at all in this film yeah like while making this film and it's never been specified like why that is like they were fine before they started shooting and they were actually going well together but it was just during shooting that they started to hate each other but you wouldn't sense that at all in this scene. no absolutely not you'd think they were great friends and got along really well and had good chemistry but it, maybe it's just on set and that's it yeah exactly Uh, Dracula knows he can't stay in England and he books a trip back to Transylvania uh, via Varna. So um, Mina and the men um, are basically in a horse and cart behind them. They're basically trying to beat Dracula back to the castle. Yeah. Whereas, um, so he's sailing there um, and changing his plans so that... um, uh, basically, what does it say here? Causing a change in plans that Van Helsing and Mina take a carriage directly from Varna to the Borgo Pass, while yep. Jonathan, Quincy, Arthur, and Jack continue by train and then get a horse and carriage, hoping yep. to intercept the Count and be able to uh, kill him. Um, of course, everybody is unsuccessful in their journey. Um, Dracula's henchmen um, pick up his boxes at Galatz and are now in a, um, a carriage trying to get um, 
to catch up to Mina and Van Helsing. Yeah. Um, who are pretty close to the castle, but they have stopped for the night. Um, that night, Van Helsing and Mina are approached by Dracula's brides, and Mina succumbs to their chanting and attempts to seduce Van Helsing, which I thought was really creepy because she was like kissing old Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yeah. Like, this is where it's sort of like the mixture of Mina going back and forth, you know, struggling with her vampire side starting to yeah. come through. Yeah, and she even is like, oh, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> Uh, but also, um, before she is able to drink from Van Helsing, he places a communion wafer on her forehead, which kind of like burns a yeah, mark bur- in her head. Yeah, burns a giant mark in her head. And then, uh, of course, um, the next morning, Van Helsing goes and finds the brides and chops off their heads. Yeah, which would really piss Dracula off, but he doesn't know, so that's fine. <laughs> I honestly think Dracula didn't really care about his brides because he didn't care. Doesn't seem to really care about them that much. Nah, he just wants Mina. That's yeah, exactly, it. exactly. Um, so basically, everyone is approaching the castle, you know, one after the other, kind of group thing, and um, the wagon bearing Dracula and his crate approach. Um, Jonathan, Arthur, Quincy, and Jack are riding behind, trying to catch up. Amina and Van Helsing are already at the castle in the courtyard. Um, there's like a bit of a fight with the henchmen and everybody as they're all in the courtyard. It's a little bit of a kerfuffle. And Mina calls up a blue flame to protect Dracula, the same that we saw at the start of the film where mm. when Harker is, um, you know, taking his journey into Transylvania. Um uh as the where am i up to so as quincy jonathan arthur and jack arrive quincy is stabbed in the back by one of the henchmen and um, is left basically to die jonathan attempts to open dracula's box but the sun has set and dracula bursts through the crate his strength rebuilt regained revived Uh, (laughs) at that moment Jonathan cuts Dracula's throat and Quincy stabs Dracula through the heart with a saw. A saw. A sword. (laughs) I need to finish the word. (laughs) Mina, who is absolutely terrified because her dear love Dracula is stabbed, screams out to him. Arthur races forward to finish Dracula and Harker stops him. Let them go, he says. Our work is finished here. Hers has just begun which I thought was, I was like, that's the love of your life. That's your wife. Like, you don't know what's going to happen to Mina when she goes, and what if it goes goes wrong? And then she's like, becomes a fully a bride of Dracula. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, all right, fine, go. But I suppose he really has a lot of faith in her to do what, to do the right thing. That's true. You know, like, I love her. I know she's going to do the right thing in the end. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, as Quincy dies, Mina sits with Dracula on the chapel of the floor where he renounced God and his faith. She kisses him and he begs her to give him peace. Out of love, she pusses, pusses, pushes. (laughs) Everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I am the worst (laughs) English speaker in like the world. Just my mouth sometimes just doesn't work. Oh, don't worry, I think Marty and I <laughs> is the same on our show as well. Yeah, you two crack me up. 
pushes the sword the rest of the way through his heart, which was really kind of cool because there was like, um, it was really graphic, like as she's pushing it. And oh the, yeah, like, like it goes through the effects. yeah, like it goes through the other side. Or yeah, as well. Like again, as in camera effects and that, but how it looks, it looks very believable. Yeah, it looks cool. I, I look, I commend this film for the practical effects, and I know that in some scenes, um. They even, um, what's the word, uh, consulted with a magician. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. On some of the scenes with the brides, um, mm. so that their movement and stuff was more illusionary. And I was mm. like, wow, that's so cool. Like, that's uh, ingenuity, you know, trying to make, like you said at the start, this unique type of film. Mm. Um, so the burn on her forehead disappears. Um, the wound in the wound in the altar of the, like the cross repairs itself, and Dracula dies. His face becomes useful, uh, useful, youthful again. <laughs> useful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think to Mina's case, like he, she doesn't want to kiss like an old old Dracula. She wants to kiss a young Dracula. So useful. Exactly. Um, <laughs> she decapitates him. And gazes up as Vlad and Elizabeth ascend to heaven together, finally reunited. Hmm. Then what happens to her? I guess it's left ambiguous because, like, again, the whole romance thing. But is did she more... become human again? I'm assuming, yeah, because I believe, like, since you know, uh, Dracula's the original vampire, so I'm assuming, and I'm guessing ah. this by old-fashioned vampire law that if you kill the head vampire then you that, turn back to you turn back into a I human thought you died um not that i'm aware of but i mean that's what i guess the logic because since this movie kind of uses a traditional vampire lore in yeah. its mythology then i'm assuming that's probably what they did for this film as well so i'm assuming at the yeah. end like mina i mean this is at the point mina having killed dracula like um basically is still not she's kind of losing that vampire side. So she's reverting back to her human self. Yeah. And she hadn't completely transitioned over to being like transformed into a vampire. Yeah. And I think even yeah. when, even though she loves Harker and everything as, as well, but knowing her past self as Elizabeth, I think those feelings for Dracula are still there. So it is a tragic scene that she yeah. kind of does finally put Dracula out. And, mm. and also, like, I think even then, Dracula is, like, we, this is a really interesting moment because we see Dracula kind of real. Like, he wants, doesn't want to be a vampire anymore. Yeah. And yeah, wants he's got to die. His, the love of his life back. Or, mm. or experience has, it. Yeah. Yeah, he has some of his humility to the point where he wants peace and just wants to leave this uh, plane of existence, yeah. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that is uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992. And Beautiful great, film. I, it is, I loved it. It, I really is a, it. it is a really great film and one of my favourite vampire films. And I think re-watching it again for the, sh for the show really enhanced my love for it. Because I haven't seen yeah. it for quite a little while by the time. But until watching it last night, I just forget how interesting and provocative and unique of a Dracula film it is. Yeah. Not just on a technical level, but from a thematic level as well. And also, like, this came out at a time where... Like, a movie like this couldn't be made now. Like... Uh, no. I don't 
kind of like, figured it'd fly. Yeah. Um, and it'd like, get ruined by other things, like trying to be too too technical or have too many film techniques. And, mm. and it's such a visually unique film because there hasn't yeah. really been a film like this since that has kind of looked this film. I mean, I guess the closest I can think of, at least off the top of my head, would be kind of Crimson Peak or even yeah. um, Sleepy Hollow, which we talked about yeah. before. Like, those are probably some of the few, but mm. to me, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula is probably, again, this is made by a master filmmaker with Francis Ford Coppola. Um, yeah. So a film like this can only have been made from someone who is an auteur like him. And, you know, this is yeah. the man who made the Godfather film. So, you know, in him bringing this kind of unique style and uh, to Dracula and making it fresh compared to every other iteration that has come out before, uh, it just makes it stand out. And there really hasn't been any others kind of since that kind of feel like this one. Yeah. The only one I can think of is like Van Helsing with, yeah. um, what's his name? Uh, Hugh Jackman. That's what I was like, the Australian guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever his name is. Um, I, I, that's probably one of my favorite vampire films. Yeah. And um, this is definitely on the list because I have, you know, my favorite slashes, my favorite zombie movies. Not that I really love zombie movies that much. I have favorite vampire movies. So, yeah, mm. I think this is going to go on my list. I, I really like it. I love gothic style films. I love gothic literature. And I love when a filmmaker can approach a piece of gothic literature without being scared of it oh yeah because i feel like it is a it is a hard thing to recreate or re um you know reinvent a classic piece of literature oh yeah exactly and this film just does it in spades yeah absolutely um so yeah that's that film thank you for getting me to finally watch something different watching a vampire movie for the first time in freaking forever yeah, I know, and, uh, and for me as well, like, because uh, we were talking about, like, what ideas could I bring, like, to the show, like, the next time, I guess, and I thought, hmm, nobody's talked about Bram Stoker's Dracula, and this film is kind of one of the more important horror films that have kind of influenced my life, or at least yeah. help establish me as a horror fan, um, that I, and you don't really hear, I mean, it's not to say this film isn't still in the public consciousness, because it is in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But in terms of, like, really kind of diving into and talking about this film, and I haven't really seen that many people talk about it as much. I mean, I've seen the occasional YouTube video that goes into it. Yeah. But in terms of, like, an actual podcast talking about this film, like, I thought this would be the perfect one to talk about uh, yeah, with you on great. the show. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing it. It was awesome. Um, as always, you know what I'm going to ask you. What is the last horror movie you watched? Oh, At least geez, I watched something amazing this week. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you um, always that, are. <laughs> I'm always... I'm, well, I spent well all of October watching horror films nonstop. Yeah. So there's so many. Like, I guess to talk about something that I've seen recently, uh, one of my favourites from that I saw in... Uh, for my 31 Dates of Horror was a uh, a nineteen an early 1970s uh, horror film called A Bay of Blood. Which was uh, oh, another one, yeah. It's directed, a Barber film, <laughs> yeah. Mario Barber, who he's a director. I've only seen like maybe five films of his so far, but that's I think the he, only one I've seen. <laughs> and I think he might be. And I pretty much, I think I've cemented him now as my favorite horror director because oh, everything wow. I've seen of his work is just amazing. And I know Barber was a little bit of an influence 
on yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula as well. Um, okay, I have to and, watch more fi- more of his films because I know there's quite a few on Shutter. Oh yeah, and each one of his films I've seen have been completely different. Like he's yeah. takes on different genres and styles. Absolutely. And A Bay of Blood is kind of an early precursor to the slasher genre. Um, yeah, definitely, because he's like, in the Giallo. Yeah, like era. I guess when he yeah when he made this, I guess he was. Kind of thinking, oh, I'll make another giallo, but this feels more like a slasher than a giallo. Okay. And nice. also, like, um, you know, and even there are the kills in this film. Uh, like Friday the Thirteenth Part Two directly took some yeah. of the death scenes from <laughs> this film into that one. Oh yeah, yeah. You can so, tell Barbara had such an influence on that, those late, late to mid eighties and Argento, Barbara, everybody. They're kind of like, okay, how can we have some of the greatest filmmakers of the seventies um, in like influence our films? And I'm I'm sure a lot of those directors were absolutely inspired by their filmmaking. Like Argento is probably one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, oh yeah. Along with like James Wan and um, you know the action films of the world and Sam Raimi and and, and I know whatnot. Th- yeah, no, I know Tim Burton was a major influence on Barbara's. Was, uh, uh, was a ma- in, heavily inspired by uh, Barbara, especially yeah. like with his um, early work, particularly with um, you know like his horror work and stuff. So, yeah. like Barbara is a great filmmaker, and I and if people haven't seen any of his work. Uh, definitely seek his work out. It's amazing. Yeah. If I had to suggest people to check out, I would say Bay of Blood to begin with, because that's kind that, of Well, like, that's the only one I've seen. I've yeah. been seeing to watch, uh, watch um, something about Black... Oh, uh, Blood and Black Lace, which is that's a, one. A, one of the earliest Giallo films, and that movie is amazing. Yeah, it's Probably... on Shudder. If you have a VPN, you're based in Australia and you have a Shudder mm. account, watch it on US Shudder, because it's not on Australian Shudder. None of the Giallo films are. Well, I know um, but, uh, Blood and Black Lace was on Amazon Prime for a while. I don't know if it still is oh, there. it might be. But, um, but I have the Blu-ray of that movie, and it's probably one of the most stunning Blu-rays I've ever seen. That movie is visually amazing. Okay, um, I'm going to have to look for some Giallos on Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, well, Barber's, um, yeah, Barber's amazing. Yeah. Check out everyone, all his, all his work, if you yeah. can find it. Yes, I'm, I'm definitely going to. It is, uh, once I have some leave at Christmas, I'm just going to stay away from the sun because I'm scared of skin cancer and watch horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where can listeners find you, your podcast, the website? Where are they going? Indeed. Um, if people want to find me personally, they can find me on my Twitter page at twitter.com slash bejamine or my personal, personal writer's page on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash terrible Aussie but of course you can all find you can find all my writings over at supermarcy.com with my reviews and columns and of course with the podcast which I co-host with uh, Supermarcy uh, which are, of course are uh, the King Zone uh, podcasters of horror uh, the 2B Tuesdays podcast and our uh, our main show are uh, the super podcasts are all on the super network so you can listen to though any of those podcasts everywhere on all podcast streaming platforms like Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, and so many others. So it's easy, we're pretty much everywhere, so it's easy <laughs> to track us down. And, um, yeah, just listen to our shows, and, like, we do cover a lot of different genres of films, and we do have we do cover horror as well, so if people want to hear us talk about horror, definitely uh, track down all of our episodes, and um, there's a lot of good stuff that we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I've started listening to Tubi Tuesday because the <laughs> movies on Tubi crack me up. So oh, yeah. 
Well, this I month... watch it and then I listen to you guys and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> well, this month um, is an interesting one because November we have classified as Charles Bronson month. Oh, no. <laughs> so we're watching movies starring or at least affiliated with Charles Bronson. And interesting. One of, the one that's just recently come out, at least at the time of this episode, um, was a, a, a Christmas movie that starred Charles Bronson <laughs> called uh, Yes, Virginia, There is a Santa Claus. <laughs> And that movie is not the greatest, but the episode we did on it is pretty funny. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm going to have to watch the movie and then I'll have to listen to the episode. I'm used to listening to podcasts when I go driving and because we've only just come out of lockdown. Mm. Um, I am so behind on all my podcasts, so hopefully <laughs> I catch up soon. Well, I think horror fans should definitely check out uh, the Yes, Virginia, There is a Santa Claus, or at least listen to our commentary because what I realized and the reason I picked that film other than being starring Charles Bronson, is that it actually stars a very young Catherine Isabel in it. Oh, no way! Okay, that's cool. uh, And I think it was one of her first films that she was in as well. So she's just like this little girl in the film, and she is the Virginia of the the title. Okay, I'm going to have to watch it, because I'm interested to see, obviously, where she got started. Indeed. That's awesome. Well, um... (laughs) Thank you for joining me. I had a great time. Hope you I did. did too. I did as well. Excellent. And I look looking forward to uh, coming back yes. on the show again soon. Yes. Uh, for listeners, we are doing, I am doing a whole month of Christmas movies. I've never done a month of themed movies. Uh, mm. Babid and Marcy will be joining me to talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night, which I am so excited for because I've never really watched Christmas horror. <laughs> well, Christmas horror is uh, very unsettling um, <laughs> and i think i've said this about every time because uh, a while back we did i think uh matt kanaka from killer horror critic and i did an audio commentary for silent night deadly night and we did talk about how it seems like compared to say horror films set around halloween christmas horror films are much more unsettling <laughs> because you know it's this happy time of the year and a lot of joyful things happen but all this horror and terrifying uh, stuff is okay. I am so excited. I'm going to have to watch number two as well, just for funsies. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, listeners. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please remember to leave a, rate me, a ranting. Leave one of them if you want. Uh, rating and review where you listen to your podcast. To catch the latest from me, you can find me on Twitter at catstead underscore or on Instagram at cat. T-G-I-F. That's cat with a C, just to clarify with everybody. Um, to see all the latest from the podcast, please follow the show on Twitter at TGIF Podcast. You've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday. <laughs>